Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everyone is well. Now, as I'm sure most people listening, if you've been listening the last few weeks, you know that I've been to several conferences and one of them was at Reboot Develop Blue. Now, some of you may think, especially uh, if you've seen some photos online that uh, that I've shared on our Twitter, you might think that I was just on a balcony enjoying the sun and sipping tea, but I was actually doing some... Uh, some podcast-related work. I was also interviewing people while enjoying the sun, sipping tea on a balcony in a hotel in Dubrovnik. And in this interview, I did just that with none other than Jörg Titel, the developer of The Last Worker. Uh, now, he spoke to me all about uh, the concept of his game, how he got these fantastic actors together, and uh, he uses his usual funny, charming self. If you've never heard him speak, then I would urge people to listen to this interview. He's a really, really funny guy, but really intelligent as well, makes some very good points. Uh, we spoke with technology and AI and um, and a lot more besides. So uh, he, um, he, he very kindly gave me nearly an hour of his time sitting on his balcony uh, to talk about all of that. So uh, now, very early on in the interview about nearly a minute and you could hear me sip or slurp a cup of tea so apologies for that um but the rest of the interview i think there's not huge amounts of background noise uh hopefully not but hopefully you'll still enjoy it as well so first of all here is a trailer for his game that he's just released the last worker uh with a fantastic voice cast which he also talks about and uh and then followed by my interview so please enjoy How does it feel holding a big long stick in your hand? Pretty good, huh? Hey, can we just cool it with a creepy sexual innuendo? Okay, good. Now, jerk it around a bit. Give it a good old jerk. Skew, stop. Come on, sign in. Do the J-wave, mate. Fetchy, fetchy, fetch. Enjoy your useless purchase. Hey, they're trying to get rid of us. They're actually trying to get rid of us. Of us? Of me, maybe. You? Irrelevant. Okay, yes. I miss you. No, she wouldn't. Just you and me, mate. Yeah. It's just you and me. This is just... Now dance. 
Remember when you called me irrelevant, eh? Who's irrelevant now? You couldn't have done it without me, could you? Once the peppermint tea kicks in. <laughs> so I'm delighted to be joined by, and I'm going to get your name wrong. Jörg Tittle. Thank you, Jörg Tittle, who just developed, um, just released The Last Worker, and we were just having a great conversation uh, about another game, Another World. Uh, we're up here in this balcony in Croatia, we moved to Blue, so thank you for going to speak to me. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation um, that we were, we were just talking before. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about. Uh, so, first of all, I wouldn't if, you, if you wouldn't mind um, just introducing yourself, telling us who you are, what your background is. Yeah, uh, hey everyone, I'm um, Jörg Kippel and I'm a writer, designer, director, producer and also now a publisher mm. of games, uh, but I don't necessarily come from games, although I do come from games and everything is sort of interestingly circular in life. But as a, you know, as a kid, uh, back in 1986, I fell in love with video games. Uh, it was outrun in an arcade cabinet in a traveling circus in Brussels where I grew up. Uh, while at the same time being a kid who wanted to be an actor and wanted to make films and wanted to be on stage and and I eventually moved to New York um, having spent the majority of my childhood um, playing games um, and console games mainly on, uh, mostly on Sega systems but also uh, my fondest memory one of my fondest memory memories is loading the secret of Monkey Island into mm. A 286, you know, processor PC with, you know, uh, two megs of RAM, and it actually ran on that thing. <laughs> and my God, what a game that was! And that music, you know, I, I, I hear, the, I, I read and remember the title, and I, the intro to that game is still one of the moments in my life that completely changed me. I was transformed to a narrative world that I had never thought possible. Uh, uh, in the interactive medium. It was one that wasn't just beautiful to look at, uh, it was also funny as hell. Yeah, it was also hilarious. beautiful. Yeah. The music is romantic. It's incredible. The theme is actually moving. And dun, da, 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 dun, dun. it's both, you know, it's a theme that both moves you but and also takes you to another time. It's an incredibly mm. complex game. And I thought, wow, okay, I. I want to be an actor, but I also really want to, I want to keep my finger in this. And, and then I started becoming such a fan of games that I, uh, I, um, I started you know, reading all the game magazines and, and I remember at some point seeing a, the first screenshot for a little known game called Tomb Raider. <laughs> and I saw that and I saw this third, pers third person point of view and it was the first <coughs> screenshot that they released so it was just this water and there was the bear on the other side the one that you face off on the second level in the first tomb raider game and i said my god these people are going to change everything and they did i think and they did because to this day we're all still playing tomb raider mm -hmm. except with better graphics yeah 
Um, that's it. But it was groundbreaking for its yes. time when it was... It, it invented triple A narrative games. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Because at the time, and I spoke about this with Tony Warner, at the time, adventure games, Sierra, LucasArts, and Revolution, they were the triple A studios. Yeah. And then Tomb Raider came along, and Doom, and Resident Evil, yeah. and they kind of changed everything. Well, technically, it's, Alone in the Dark changed everything. Uh, yes, yes. Technically. And actually, like Federico is a dear friend of mine, and we've made a spin-off of The Last Worker together. Oh, yes, you mentioned that. In for the playdate, for the little system with a crank, hence the spin-off term. Get it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he is, the, he is the Shakespeare of that um, kind of uh, uh, genre. Uh, and he lives among us, which is incredible, and he's actually not even that old. But it's incredible to think that one of the most influential, popular storytelling uh, genres, mediums, devices, which is the AAA narrative video game, was in fact invented by Frédéric Renard when he made uh, Alone in the Dark. And and so I'm as, as interested in storytelling in games as I am of the story behind games in general. How did they come to be and why are we here today? Mm. And since we are here today um, and we have this rich history, um, where do we go from here? Yeah, well, uh, you have then made your game, but you, you said you also, uh, I believe you you come from is it the theater or you made films yeah, yeah. as well? Because yeah, I've done, I've done plays. I um, I moved to L.A. after 9-11 because uh, it was a bit scary in New York. I thought I was going to lose my visa, but then I was working for Activision for a bit. And, uh, and there I was on the team, a very junior design member, on the absolutely god-awful Minority Report video game. Oh, yeah. Yes, you're not allowed to laugh at it. It's a trauma attached to it here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was terrible because that was actually the, the sort of talk about ludo narrative, uh, uh, you know, disconnect um, in that particular game, like based on a movie in which the story was that, you know, you get arrested uh, prior to committing a crime because these precogs mutant people, whatever, can predict crimes uh, before they happen, so people are arrested for their future crimes. Well, in the game, they decided to make a brawler in which you throw people Naturally. out of windows. <laughs> and I asked them, why are we doing this? And I was like, oh yeah, no, because, I mean, we you just have to find a way to, like, tell the story in such a way that the precog department is temporarily shut down, so they can't actually predict stuff. I'm like, but then it's not minority yeah, report, is it? That's the whole point. Yes. But that, in a way, was the epitome of sort of unintelligent or maybe unintellectual storytelling. Like, uh, games very early on decided, and it was decided on a corporate level, that games should not be about nothing. And, and that goes fundamentally against what adventure or indeed story-driven games should be. Mm. And of course, I think I think the way people like yourself gravitate towards that genre is it's the games that specifically go out of the way to say that they're about story mm -hmm. are allowed to have one. Yeah. But as for the other ones, they better be about nothing. Yeah, there was, I can't remember his name, but there was a narrative uh, designer of, of games, and I think he's pretty well known, but I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, and he wrote on Twitter and he said that he's nearly done with the industry, that every meeting he has uh, is a fight to keep narrative in the games, that 
they keep telling, no, we need to cut the introduction by, you know, just cut the introduction all together. And he says, but this is the whole story. This sets up the story. Well, and they said, you know oh, what? players don't care about that. <laughs> you know, I actually kind of agree with both sides. Okay. Because I think an introduction to me sounds like a dangerous form of exposition already. Yeah. Like, show, we, don't we, tell. It's in this, or in this case, play, don't tell. Mm. I mean, it, it is, you know, this is the medium in which supposedly we express ourselves through gameplay uh, or even through mechanics for that matter. And if that is the case, then we should try and find a way for our mechanics to tell the story. But we are completely separating the two all the time. So that's why we still are playing Tomb Raider to this day with a God of War skin on top, with a Last of Us skin on top, with a whatever. They're all the same game, like, really. Like, I, yeah, sure, you can throw, you can shoot the arrow more realistically now, mm. and, and the joypad vibrates now, you can pull, you can feel the rope pull or whatever, but it's ultimately still the same game. Um, but why? Like, whereas, you know, when we had point-and-click adventures, for instance, um, you know, the actions that you were taking based on a word choice or whatever would completely change the animation to something that you didn't expect. You would always delight the player with surprising outcomes of predetermined choices. Yeah. And that made it delightful, made it exciting. Whereas now we are playing these supposedly but um, but fake narrative games, the AAA games, <laughs> because the gameplay doesn't reflect the story and therefore they are fake narrative games. Uh, we are playing them the way we steer a car. Like, every car steers the same. Uh, we just, every, every, with every generation of every car, it drives a bit better and smoother to the point where it gets more and more automated, more and more automatic, more and more smooth. Eventually, it will be a self-driving car. And maybe we'll go full circle and eventually self-driving games will just be movies again. But that would be really freaking boring. With no gameplay, no. Yes. Because technically, it doesn't matter if you play God of War or watch these Twitch stream. I'm not saying it's a bad game. It's a great game. It's a beautifully produced, fantastic thing. Well, whatever. The problem is, I've been playing that thing for 30 years now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, what I look for in, well, mainly adventure games, it's... I think there's you know, something similar with adventure games, because there's a lot of nostalgia. And I don't have a problem with nostalgia, you know, as it is. Of course, I'm nostalgic for games. But there's a lot of games that say, you know, we're going to be the next, a lot of developers, we're going to be next Monkey Island, we're going to be next Broken Sword, and we want to make games exactly as they were 30 years ago, which, again, is fine for, you know, people, and I will probably play some of them. But I'm more interested, personally, when developers take a risk, take a chance, and try and do something new, try and do something different, or just try and focus on their own game. Yeah. Um, and you're not necessarily just try and make the game similar to 30 years ago, which, again, is their opinion. But yeah, so what draws me to uh, some games is, you know, what are you trying to do different? What are you trying to do to stand out from the crowd? And your game, The Last Worker, is one of those games. I haven't played it yet, um, but I, I definitely will. Um, but what can you tell us about your game? So how did your game, The Last Worker, come about? Well, The Last Worker uh, came about, or the idea for it started back and kicked off in around 2014-15 when, when overnight the employees in my local Sainsbury's or Tesco or whatever was, uh, had been replaced by these self-checkout machines. And suddenly, you know, the staff of six had been reduced to two, one person in front of the cigarette curtain thing and the other person standing by the machines. And, and their only job was to wait for the machines to break down so it pushed the Windows reset button. 
And and immediately I went up to the guy who stood there, sort of flabbergasted. It's almost like overnight he'd been sort of like pushed there, like, oh, you do this now. He was standing there and I looked at him and was like, you know what's kind of crazy? And he's like, what? He's like, you are assisting the machines. Like, that seems wrong to me. Like, they should be assisting us. And, and then I realized the machines, the only people that the machines are assisting are the people at the top. So, and we are now being reduced to the people that, that assist the tools that will eventually replace us. For, and for the benefit of a very few rich people at the top. And that really annoyed me. And then I realized that it's not unique to the supermarket, it's happening everywhere. You know, that's what social media does on a personal level, the way we actually relate to people. It's being done on the political level, the way we sort of, you know, you know, manipulate people with Facebook and, 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 and the Brexit sort of, you know, referendum, etc. We've seen all of this. We've mm -hmm. seen the proof of it. Yeah, we have. We're automating people out of thinking and we're automating people out of their own identity. And and so that's that was the first sort of, that was the beginning of the last worker for me and then it took me years and years to actually eventually end up with the right team, the right t people to do it. I met, um, thanks to friends at CodeSync, uh, I met uh, the amazing Ryan Bousfield and his team at Wolf and Wood. Um, he is a VR pioneer uh, since the very first sort of Oculus DK1 where he made a game called A Narrative, first person VR game called A Chair in a Room. Uh, and then a chair in a room Greenwater, then he did the Exorcist game after that uh, in VR. And, uh, and so thankfully we hit it off, and that was in 2019, shortly after Gamescom 2019. And then we started working on this game, which is set in a near future fulfillment center the size of Manhattan. Um, the, sort of, the corporation is called Jungle or Jungle. Uh, obviously, all you know similarities to certain sort of corporations are purely coincidental, of course. <laughs> and uh, and Josef Jungler, the wonderful, likable, eccentric CEO of the company, <laughs> uh, um, who I imagine uh, started the company in 1946 after he had immigrated to the U.S. <laughs> I wonder where he came from. But yeah, so that's the that's the premise. And you are Kurt, the last human worker working in this massive facility and all your colleagues are robots and and you're very proud extremely proud of it you've been in there for 25 years you've never made a single mistake and that's when the tutorial starts okay because obviously you already know how to do everything mm. and you shouldn't even be in the tutorial and the reason you're in this is because of a glitch that's happened in there and skew or your fellow sort of companion bot which is actually designed to actually only sort of onboard new employees into the company is now glitching and taking you through a tutorial where you already know in character you, you know exactly how to do everything to begin with. It's actually quite a complex job to do because uh, I mean once you do it it's fully automated because you, you know you're being told exactly where to go at every point but you have to pick products, sort through them, they put them on the shell, they put, put them in the dispatch machine or in the recycling machine depending on what uh, whether they might be discarded or out of date or whatever. So that's, I mean that's the maximum amount of thinking you have to do mm -hmm. really. And, um, and then a group of activists uh, called Spear approach you from the outside and they try to recruit you as the only remaining person on the inside to first try, their, try to find their missing leader and then hopefully dismantle this corporation from the inside.
And the only way that you can do it is by balancing your day-to-day -day job and these activist tasks. But the problem is, if you get fired, you don't get to be an activist again. Um, and so you're going to have to you know, uh, perform as a loyal worker, regardless of everything. So, so it's not papers please in that sense, because some people have compared it to that. And, you know, I'm in this game, we're not dealing with the subtlety of whether you can make a choice, because you don't have a fucking choice. That we don't have a choice. We're, we're being automated out of existence regardless. So uh, the only thing that we have is our own dignity, our sense of humor, and, and hopefully some sort of drive to continue existing. And perhaps the solution is big, more than a binary solution whether on whether we, there we get to keep the job or not. Maybe there's something more profound to it, and that's what I'm trying to get at with this game. Okay, yeah, so... I mean, we could talk more complex even than I would understand, but you know, you say that we don't have a choice that, you know, with the automation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this would be, what is it, opening Pandora's box wording, but did free will come into it? So I know, you know, these, what is it, psychological, or, you know, these theories about free will versus, um, you know, not having free I, will. I, I, I mean, yeah, we have the free will to... Yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? Do we have yeah. free will? We, we, we have our free will to quit a job. We have our free will to get a divorce. We have our free will to jump out the window. We have... There are consequences. There are consequences. All of these actions mm. have consequences. But in a world where our self-worth is determined by us having a job, it's uh, and pride comes into it, and the narcissism of knowing that your performance is better than anyone else's. When we play that rat race, maybe we don't have a choice. But then, if when a moral dilemma comes into it, it forces us to stay within a job that we already had no choice about quitting anyway, mm. then we have even less of a choice. So the irony is, if you're trying to fight a system from within, you have to stay within the system. And maybe that is too much for some people to understand who played The Last Worker, and because I have absolutely nothing to teach anyone other than I struggle with this every day. Mm. I'm, I'm making a game against automation that is being sold on platforms where the popularity metrics of whether my game will be shown or not is determined entirely by algorithms. Mm -hmm. How many wish lists do you have yes. on it? So I'm, I'm an idiot who's making a satire of the stuff and yet I'm putting one of the sort of millions of boxes onto some of these dusty shelves on one of those endless streams of thumbnails. And so I, I, I'm well aware of the irony. I'm well aware of this sort of weird Sisyphus type struggle that, I, that, that I'm up against. But I'm doing it anyway, because again, I don't have a choice. Yeah, that is a good point. Do you think that uh, there could be other ways you could do it? Like say maybe have your own website, or maybe if you can direct people to, I mean, you, you might not, you probably won't sell it half as many copies if you do that. Yeah, That's I mean, the I think as well, you need, we all need to live, we all need enough money to, you know, to live, to eat and everything. So I, I don't know, I, I chose a video game because I believe, and especially a VR game first, I mean it is, I think The Last Worker really thrives the most in VR, although I also adore playing it on Switch because I actually consider uh, the Switch to be an immersive platform in the sense that it, you get to immerse yourself in gaming anywhere. I mean mobile gaming to me is so precious, the mm. idea that you can take the device with you, and also it has 
gyro controls and other things that actually allow you to physically engage with the gameplay, which you know PC games with all their supposed superiority really fail at doing. Um, and I think that two ways for me to empathize with subject matter in a game, which I think is important when you're trying to talk about moral, human, and other things, is like, A, you need to pay attention. You need to listen, you need to watch. Like, like, like when you're trying to hear out a friend of yours and they're, being, they're in trouble, if you look at the phone while they're trying to, you know, share, you know, their trauma with you, you would not be a good friend. You would not be seen as attentive. When in fact, that's how we actually watch, consume more like the greatest works of storytelling of all time. When we watch a Scorsese movie while, you know, while doing yeah. Wordle at the same time. It's, yeah. so, so we are not giving these works of art the respect of attention anymore. Uh, and so this idea of second screening uh, things, including our own friends and family, is to me the a, a death knell of of our own humanity. But, the, but it's also not our fault because the algorithms want us to be distracted. Because the more we're distracted, the more attention-seeking data packs need to be created to then pull us into another direction, which then creates a flow of data, which is what they want, because they're data companies. Their content pipeline, just like the old pipe, all the pipelines, are based upon the maximum flow of data. They know it's polluting shit, but they need to, they they make their money with is with the the you know the sure sheer volume of crap going through those pipes. So that's that's all we are to them. But. I think the one remaining thing that flows through these content pipelines where I feel we can get full attention is VR. Okay. Because you can't second screen it. Because That's once you're point. inside of it, you are trapped, hopefully in a beautiful trap, but you are trapped inside someone else's vision. And you won't be able to be distracted out of it. You can't have a second screen. Yes. You can't pick up your phone. Yes. You're fully immersed. Yes. So to yes. me, immersive narrative spaces are the future of storytelling. Um, uh, but they are closer to me to theater than they are to traditional video games. They're also far closer to theater than they are to film. Um, those are immersive theatrical spaces in which everything is interactive. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And yeah. that's the space I want to be in for the rest of my life. No, well, that's, that's great to hear. I, I hadn't considered it like that, that that's why VR, that you can't look at your phone as you're playing a game or um, watching a movie, because I try not to do it, but of course I'm guilty myself like everyone. But yeah, VR, uh, to get, you know, it's closer to theater, you said, that, that yes. you, the VR is. Yeah, because uh, as an audience member, you, you start to inhabit the space with the actors, because they... The whole idea of the fourth wall is that there isn't a wall. There's a whole landscape, and you're inside of it. Like, mm. as opposed to the movie, you would be in the, on the back wall looking in, and you'd see, uh, you'd see, you'd look in the other direction. Um, so, so in a theater, you're actually, in a way, you're part of the play. You're sitting inside of the environment, as opposed to cinema, which compresses everything to only what you need to see. Um, in theater, you have your imagination that has to fill in the blanks. In VR, you may have less of the imagination to fill in the blanks, but you have a 360 environment around you in which you are interacting with everything within it. And 
Uh, so that opens up a load of incredible possibilities. But there's, you know, some groups like Punch Trunk uh, who are doing, you know, these immersive plays uh, in London, for instance, uh, The Burned City, I highly recommend that uh, people check it out. And it's okay. a sort of three, three and a half hour long uh, experience in which you are walking through the play and it's happening in this ginormous building. You put a mask on, everyone puts masks on, as, and you, you walk through, you follow the actors in whichever way you want. It's a choose your oh, own that's... direction play. Oh, that, I, I've heard it to do that for Hamlet in yes. Denmark. Yes. And they do that in London as well. Oh, the Burn City. Yeah, yeah, check Burned it out. City. Yeah, yeah, for you as an adventure game. Oh, this I'm definitely is, going. Yeah. <laughs> that time I'm, I'm going to London just for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is worth it. Wow. And, so, and once you're doing that, you will realize, oh my god, now imagine if you could do this in the video game. Mm. But with the, act, the actors are still pretending for the most part that you're not there. I mean, they'll walk around you, but they will, if you interact with them, they will still stay in character and they will sure. continue their story. Occasionally they might make a reference to you or break the, but there's no fourth wall because it's immersive in that sense. But, but they will still occasionally engage with you, but, but imagine now in a world where all of the actors are fully reactive to your actions, all the objects uh, within the confines of the mechanics of the game are, are, are for you to interact with, to interpret, to think about, uh, to use potentially, um, those worlds are fascinating. And that's where mm. I find story is going to find a new role in society. Yeah, no, well, that does sound fascinating. Um, now, I'm also curious about, shall we say, the future. Now, you've talked about the automation and uh, you know, in, in the game as well. And I spoke to Tony Warner about this, you know, where does he think the future is and involving AI and, you know, we had a little joke with chat GPT. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the future of, of games and AI? Do you think AI has a role that can help us or do you think that there are dangers that AI could take over, you know, take people's jobs and how do you think AI is taking, AI is taking, is, yeah. it, is it taking people's jobs? Oh, it's taking jobs all the time. But technically it's been doing it ever since the industrialization period. Okay. I mean, if you were, because AI is nothing more than another form or an evolution of technology. And we've had technology ever since the beginning of time. I mean, we've had technology with the first cave painting. Um, someone had to invent the flame, and then mm -hmm. they had to also like invent tools in order for them to actually leave these beautiful uh, marks on, on the wall representing animals, etc. So, so you've always had tech from the beginning, but you know, industrialization suddenly replaced uh, certain you know steps that would, would would be needed in order to, for instance, I don't know, uh, make something out of metal. Um, you know, uh, a lot of machines would suddenly replace that. You know, you wouldn't have to pour the thing into a mold personally necessarily it was sort of you had to just you had to move a lever which would then pour the thing and another thing would come down and push that and and it was originally also even done by children because they were more nimble and you could actually fit more workers into a factory and whatever and then eventually we decided to replace them with robots which is where we are now i mean we've, we've always been you know look people working in the mines you know like we've replaced, we've replaced them like mm -hmm. we have so was that artificial intelligence? Technically, yes, because if you take a look at what any authority is, it's an artificial intelligence. Because it's pretending to be an authority that gets to make decisions, when in fact, it is not you. Mm -hmm. So it's artificial. Yes. So any system is artificial. Any, anything that we build is artificial anyway. So to me, actually, artificial intelligence is just an extension of what we do anyway. 
we've always had tech. Mm. So it's a tool. That's all it is. So and tools are for for our taking, and they if we use them with good intent, they'll do good things. If we use them with bad intent, then they'll fuck everything up. <laughs> and the thing is, right now. AI is in the tech gen sector in general is run by sociopaths. So um, there's a wonderful German word for people like Elon Musk and etc., which is Fachidiot, which is a <laughs> specialized idiot or a field <laughs> idiot. They're very, very good at the one thing that they do, but they're absolutely completely stupid at everything else. And it's like when you have people that can barely make eye contact. Or charm anyone, make anyone laugh, become the architects of the world's social networks. It's we, you know, that they don't have the necessary skill set. It's like having a morbidly obese person become your fitness instructor. Mm. They wouldn't dare to do it. There is, it doesn't exist. And yet, these people have the goal to pretend that they should tell us how to communicate, when in fact they themselves know full well that they know know how to. So. So they're sociopaths because they have absolutely no self-awareness whatsoever. So if these people create AI tools, and they are, and they fund them, and Elon Musk and all these people are, you know, funding this stuff, uh, it's going to be bad. Mm. But there are people who are also here to use AI meaningfully. You know, there are people, for instance, also in governments like in Taiwan, Audrey Tang, their digital, you know, minister, uh, who uses AI at, in order to help. Communities build better societies and actually be self-sufficient uh, and not rely on the government to make decisions that pertain to their neighbors being safer, cleaner, better, etc. So, I, I'm I'm as as pessimistic about AI as I am also hopeful and excited mm -hmm. about the opportunities it can get as long as it gets in the right hands. Yeah, I feel similar because AI. I'm fascinated now. I mean, with my ChatGPT or something. You know, where can we go in the future? But I'm also slightly concerned. Um, there is a game I played a little bit of. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's the Kraken Awakes. Based on yes, I haven't played it, but I've heard things, yes. And now the developers have agreed to come onto the podcast, hopefully after I've played it. Uh, but the, the, the acting, or quote-unquote acting, is done by AI. <laughs> now, and so the, I suppose the interesting thing about that is theoretically, they react to what you say. So you literally speak into the game, and whatever you say, they will respond, quote unquote, naturally you know, to what they, what they say. With, you know, in games, you have dialogue trees, but here. And I tried a bit of that, and it was, I think, done relatively well. It was very interesting, and I am curious to play it. And of course, the problem with that is that there is no voice actors. So you could say, well, the AI in this case is probably taking the, the role of voice actors who have done the job. But is it, is it dialogue driven or is there, is there, is there, is, is there a voice that comes out? Is it, yeah, is so it, the voice is dialogue. I generated voice, okay. Cool. Uh, so, you know, now again, and that's why I would like to speak to the developers, you know, about this. From their point of view, who work with AI, um, you know, what are their thoughts? You know, how can they assure people that, you know, they're doing it the right way? Well, you know, I mean... People? There are certain games in which actors are asked to deliver lines like, go over there and pick up the box. You better run fast or else. Oh, like, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> oh my God, look, it's huge. What do we do now? Let's keep safe, right? I mean, it's kind of bullshit, right? So that stuff is actually akin to someone working in a fulfillment center being told to pick up the next box. 
the actor in this particular project has the same role as someone working in a content factory. They're doing and delivering lines mostly out of context. Because listen, if, I, if you create rope lines, the rope lines that are supposed to be sort of, you know, one size fits all things for an action, that's one thing. But an actor who's, talk, who's performing this, the, or lending the voice to an action outside of its many huge plethora of contexts, because you could be saying, let's get out of here when you're sitting at a table at a restaurant and you've had enough and you've paid the bill. You can, mm. say, let's, let, you can say, let's get out of here at the beginning of the meal because you're unhappy with the fact that you haven't had any service yet. You can say, let's get out of here when you're being chased by a bunch of evil aliens. So, and yet in games we expect that one actor will deliver this one line and we can apply it to every scene. And that's how, so I find it disrespectful to the craft of an actor to ask them to do this. Their performance will come across as crap. It will have absolutely no meaning in the context and therefore might as well be delivered by AI. I think. Yeah. Because it's actually more dignified that way. So, um, I, I think AI-generated dialogue is a very exciting field. Yeah. And I would actually use it for lines that no self-respecting actor should have to deliver. I'd rather pay a self-respecting actor the equivalent of what an actor we paid for a full performance just so they lend their voice for, that vo for their voice for one minute, whatever, of sample audio so I can then generate an entirety of AI-generated dialogue on the basis of that. Yeah. But it depends on the game, right? I mean, The Last Worker has very carefully uh, scripted scenes with tens of thousands of lines of dialogue, all of which I've written, uh, and all of which are performed by some of the world's greatest actors. And so there, there's absolutely no room for AI-generated anything. It didn't need that. But I can imagine certain games, actually my next game will have that, uh, where, you know, working with actors but also um, using AI as a tool to expand uh, uh, audio at infinitum is oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. there's a space for it. Yeah, okay, so that's the if it's used right. Yes. There is a space that I like with It's like any tool. It's like, you know, yeah. to, to hammer everything looks like a nail. To the, to the Fachidioten at the top right now, we are all nails. Right yeah. <laughs> but um, they're tools. Mm. The people who make tools right now are actually tools. Like from a, you know, when we call someone a tool, they're idiots. <laughs> but we, uh, we can use tools with intent. I occasionally use a hammer, but only when I actually need to hammer a nail. I will not use it to eat my lunch. For that, I'm going to use a fork or a knife or a spoon or chopsticks or whatever. Uh, whereas to them, indeed, they'll apply their bullshit to everything because they want to sell their fucking content, platform, whatever they want to call it, to everything and everyone. Mm. I don't care. It's like the person who invented the flame before they did the cave painting. Um, they didn't set the whole entire world alight. They only applied that to when they needed what to they see need, in the dark yes. or heat up their meal. And so AI is a tool and we shouldn't be scared of it. We should just use it wisely. And the best way to do that is by giving people examples of how it can be used wisely, so people learn to use, so not to be scared of it. Yeah. Because fire point. is scary too. Yeah. Imagine the first person and when that fucking first erupted. Imagine that first ever person experiencing the heat of that, the danger of it, burning their fingers, their skin hurting, mm -hmm. 
they ran. They probably made sort of probably sort of ape-like sounds and you know, climbed up a tree and waited for it to go, but then the tree set ablaze, you know, and then they sort of, you know, the leaves were burning around them and then they were dead. And then it took another ten thousand people to have the same experience before eventually someone said, Well, maybe I should do it in a cave and like put a more of a secure environment around whatever. I like, I don't I mean it's, it's crazy, but it's like that's what we're doing right now. We're setting the world ablaze with AI. Mm-hmm. Or we're at the precipice of that. Everyone's freaking out. We're all flinching, going, ah, it's going to be fine as yeah. long as we learn to control it and we use it for the right purpose. That's a good point. Now, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I'm interested. You mentioned that you worked with some of the you know, greatest actors, and I was stunned when I saw the voice cast of The Last Worker. And I, and I told you before, Jason Isaacs, who and I love everything he does, you know, whatever, even if the movie or anything might be great, he, I don't think I've seen him give anywhere close to a bad performance. No, it's impossible it, for Jason to be bad. And how, so did you know, and then the other people as well, so, well, what, how did you, I mean, I know you had a background in movie theatre, but how did you get these people to, uh, to do voices in your game, to star in your game? So Olaf, Olaf Udari Olofsson, you just told me you were in Iceland, uh, he's, yes. he's the biggest star in Iceland. Yes, uh, and the, our tour guide mentioned him. Yeah, he was in, uh, he was in True Detective, he was, was in... Walter uh, Mitty. Uh, Walter Mitty, yes. uh, the Meg, most importantly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and he appeared in your uh, game. He worked. He's the main character. Yeah. So he he voices Kurt, uh, the character that you embody in the game. Uh, uh, you hear his thoughts. You hear his response to stuff. You are inside of his body and his mind. Um, and you also see yourself in the rearview mirror, looking as a sort of cartoon stylized version of Dario Olufsen, because I'm more of the character after him. Mick McMahon, one of the creators of Judge Dredd, is the, uh, did all the concept art and character design, and uh, a man in his now late 70s. So, because uh, uh, I felt that if I'm going to have an original style, uh, I might as well go to a man who invented the whole idea of original styles in comic yeah. books, because Mike Mignola is, is uh, for instance, is one of his disciples. Um, so uh, again, it goes down, comes down to intent. Why should I copy the cool style akin to, you know, Mid Journey or whatever, and go like, oh, like I like Hellboy, I'm gonna make it look like that. No, I'm gonna do the guy who actually inspired Hellboy, and uh, and he's gonna give me something completely different. And so, uh, so that's why the art style is so unique. Um, so he's also an actor in the game. Um, as a matter of fact, the the Wolf and Wood, the developers, are actors in the game. Because and stars of the game, because the way I talk to programmers and Ryan Bousfield, the creative director of Wolf and Wood, certainly talks to all of his people as well. We are all not technicians; we are actors uh, who are trying to to say things with meaning. How do we want to make the audience feel with this, and how do we go about doing that? Uh, and once you do that, you realize that code is not uh, tech; it's language. It's a language with which we communicate what we're trying to say. And that suddenly makes your games meaningful. But um, anyway, sorry, uh, I'm going off this thing. No, no. It's, so uh, how did you meet uh, the actors? How did you get? Them? Oh, sorry. Yes, that's the yeah. One. No, no. Sorry. Uh, Jason, we've been. Uh, I approached him for a film that we've been developing for a while, uh, and then uh, the pandemic hit, so that film was then postponed. So I said, Jason, do you want to be in this crazy video game? And he said, Yes. Um, Kurt, uh, wait, what? Oliver Dar Olsen. Cast him in a film that my wife Alex and I directed back uh, in the day called *The White King* with Jonathan Price and a bunch of other people. 
So I back then I really wanted him to be in that, um, and he had agreed back then. So I found him since became a dear friend. Claire Hope Ashley, who plays Hoverbird, was also in The White King. I'd seen her in Children of Men, and I really wanted her to be in The White King back in the day. David Hewlett was introduced to me by who plays Joseph Yimmel uh, in the in the game. He was introduced to me by the by dear and late friend of mine, Stuart Gilray, whom actually I've dedicated the game to him. He was the head of Just Dead Water. Uh, who did um, uh, Oddworld New and Tasty back in the day, and, and, and David was one of the voices in that. And Tommy Earl Jenkins uh, directed him in a short film a few years ago, and since then he um, he made, worked on Death Stranding and played mm -hmm. Die Hardman in that. Um, and uh, silly name that is, isn't it? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so he's, uh, he's also the sixth actor in the... And they, oh, no, there is Zelda Williams, sorry. Uh, Robin Williams' daughter, as most what? know her, but uh, an incredible actress, uh, a great voice talent, and so she also is in it. And her, I didn't know at all. I just cold approached her on Twitter uh, because she had uh, posted an audio clip of her real voice where she's not trying to embellish it and heighten it in order to make people more comfortable. I tweeted her, and she replied, and she said yes. So, I don't know. I yeah, just great task. Yes, so that's, the, that's, that's, how, that's how I got to everyone. Yeah, that's the main gist of it. You ask, yes. and they said yes. That's that's really it, really. I mean, if you, to me, the way I approach people is I talk to them about the, of what I'm trying to do, what the meaning of it is, and and if and if, if they resonate with it, then they usually say yes. Yeah, and how how was it working with these people through the pandemic? I presume was it remotely you? Yeah, a combination, mostly remotely, and, and that was both a very intense and stressful thing, but also it was an amazing thing, because from now on, I know that actors cannot demand to stay in fancy hotels, <laughs> and fancy, right, and have... Uh, they can work you know, from home. They can yes, they can work from home, and, and it's like, in that way, everybody wins. Um, they don't have to work from home, necessarily. They, they, they could you work, for instance, uh, at some point, Dari was in Adelaide, uh, filming a uh, Zack Snyder movie, uh, the series there, uh, and uh, and I had Jace in London in the studio. We were wearing masks instead of going in. We were testing and all this stuff. And one thing that was very sorry, one thing, <clears throat> and one thing that was very important for me was that when I have a scene between two actors in the game, that I actually have those two actors acting with each other during the recording. Which, is, by the way, they don't even do that in films. So. Mm -hmm. In films, in animation, etc., actors are most often than not record, recorded separately, um, and uh, with someone else feeding the lines or them reading the script themselves. I thought I would have a much more natural banter and response between the actors for which I always record the scenes between two or three actors with those two or three actors, and so we did them remotely. Zed, Kurt was in Adelaide. Jace was in a studio in Camden. Uh, I put them uh, on Zoom on, uh, on, oh, on, so, at, so, so they saw together. each other as well, and they started acting together. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, because I can imagine if uh, usually if it's just an actor on their own, that it's not the same. And whereas if you're together, yeah, I imagine the results are better. Yeah. And because my game is about you know being human or remaining human right, within yeah. this automated world, I felt it was extremely important for every element of this game to be made by humans. And it looked like it's had a human touch applied to it, which is why every texture in the game is hand painted as well. So, so Ryan's team, and it's just a team of seven, did this incredible job of literally handcrafting every single corner of this game, and therefore everything in this game is unique and human and human made. Fantastic. And, and for a final question, to that, now that the game has been released, 
Um, and you spoke about it in your talk that it got mostly positive reviews, and then as others, as you mentioned as well, that uh, think what what person say that um, it was too much art or something or. Yeah, it was more, yeah, the, the escapist, uh, so, so so there's more art than game, apparently. How do you feel now that the game is released, you know, how do you feel about the game and the reaction generally it's received? I, I think it's, I, I always knew that The Last Worker was going to be Marmite in this world of short attention spans. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it is, I, I think, and I hope you'll agree when you play it, y'all, that the game <laughs> is, is, is compelling and funny and, and but it's also a game that makes you think about its mechanics. And, and for some people, that seems like it's not fun. Mm. Uh, and to other people, they get it. Okay. And, the people, and as, long as, you, as long as you open your mind to a new experience and something that looks and plays and smells and feels like a game can also be something that makes you think about the psychology behind the things that you do in it, then it becomes even cooler. Cool. And some... Some people, some sort of content creators, so to speak, for certain magazines and publications didn't get that. And so, I mean, the other day I, I had a debate with, uh, on Twitter with a, the editor-in-chief of a major uh, video game website, and, uh, and they were uh, arguing with the fact that IGN, who sent out a tweet saying that games are measured on fun, uh, said that it shouldn't all be reduced to fun, and I said that's great, but why the hell is it then that your that particular magazine, that particular website's review of my game, also ultimately gave it a lower rating than it probably deserved, uh, based on and wrapped it up saying that why is it that the activist mechanics in the game aren't as fun as the day-to-day -day mechanics, the sort of the work stuff you have to do, because that's literally the point of the story. Because activism and fighting the system is hard. It's not fun. If it were fun, then everyone would do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is fun is to not think, do the shit, and get paid. That's why we do it. Because we get our dopamine hits of salaries, of achievement, of the virtual pat on the back from our corporation. And we feel we have value in the world. In fact, if we go against the system, we feel we may lose everything. It's not fun. And therefore, uh, it's not like we created mechanics that are purposely not fun, but they're not quite as snappy and arcadey as the day-to-day -day stuff, on purpose. Because I want us to think about the nature of activism. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, it's harder than work. It's the hardest work in the world to do your own shit. So, the people that tune in with that idea really, really, really love it. And thankfully, it's the majority of people. That's but good. not on PC. Bizarrely, really? you see where we've hit up, hit against the, the straight, like on consoles, we're like in 70, 80% territory. Uh, on PC, we're mixed. Oh, okay. And, and that same, I spoke with Patrice Dessier the other day, the director of the creator of Assassin's Creed, you know, uh, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, mm. uh, and now also the Ancestors. Uh, game and Ancestors game, he told me, has uh, great ratings, everything, but not on PC. And people, it's wild. <laughs> it's 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 yeah, it's it's strange because we because it is the most algorithmically driven platform. The Steam. PC, yeah. It is the least curated and the most algorithmically uh, uh, run, and therefore, on rather ironically or perhaps fittingly, a game that is trying to satirize automation 
is is having the hardest time to be seen as something great on there. But I hope that whoever plays the game will agree that it is indeed uh, more than mixed. But but even if they have a mixed reaction to it, I'm, I'm sure that you will all have a strong reaction to it regardless. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It seems like a game that people have strong reactions to yes. anyway. Yes. It's, uh, and uh, you said you're making another game, I, and I, I'm sure you probably can't say much. I no, I can't say oh. about a game that's actually coming out in June already. Oh, can you? So what can you tell us about? It's, it's, it's a game that has absolutely no story whatsoever. <laughs> so going from Last Worker. Uh, yeah, not even from at the same time. It's also with Wolf and Wood. Um, so with a team of just seven, somehow, uh, together we've managed to make two games at the same time. Wow, that's... And so C-Smash VRS is a futuristic... Uh, it's squash, means breakout in space, essentially. Uh, it's a collaboration, well, it's based on an old a Sega Dreamcast game from 2001 called Cosmic Smash. And, uh, and I wanted to make a game that makes you feel good in your body, uh, alone or with someone else. Uh, Gets to do sport in a, in a non-competitive environment and uh, listen to incredible music. So, for instance, here we're in Dubrovnik, and tonight mm. the great Japanese DJ Kenny Shi is going to be performing in the Old Town in front of 2,000 people. That's he's one of the two musicians behind the game, oh, wow. and, uh, and he's written a dynamic soundtrack for the game. Him and also a guy called Danalog, who's part who's the frontman of the band The Comet Is Coming, and so who's an acid jazz electronic musician. And so we, we, yeah, so this is a game that's all about physicalizing the feeling of feeling good and being good, and it's, uh, it feels in, in your whole bodies inside of it. And it's on PlayStation VR 2, and it, the demo that we released three weeks ago is doing extremely well, and uh, it's coming out 23rd of June, and I adore that game very, nice. very much. But it's a game that has an, a, a hidden narrative embedded in it, uh, and it's very much up to interpretation. <laughs> and um, and so it does the storytelling through uh, physicality and space, okay. and so you can even find uh, the sort of you could find a story inside a sports game because ours has one. Okay, that's curious. So people, you know, if there is a story, it doesn't go searching for it. But, I mean, if there are yes. adventure gamers playing it. We're used to searching for you, Yes, you will find <laughs> and you'll be able to construct it in so your own way. So kind of what the puzzle is finding the story. If you want to. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah, if but you want you can. to, that's optional. Yeah. Then, yeah. But, but you always feel, I think you'll feel good inside of it. You okay, can, no, that's uh, good. And, and, and there's no other game that does that. Yeah, well, that's great. And then after, do you have any ideas, any plans? And, and then I'm going to make the most ambitious uh, narrative not driven, narrative, because a game, in my view, shouldn't be narrative-driven. I think anything that's driven by one thing becomes uh, becomes mono-focused. But uh, it will have a deep narrative. And I'm going to be working with a collection of the world's greatest narrative designers uh, on what I believe will be the most ambitious and hopefully also the most um, revolutionary VR game ever made. Wow, well, I can't wait to find out more about that. Um, and where can people find you then? Uh, on Twitter, I am at New York, N-E-W-J-O-R-G. Uh, my new company is called Rapid Eye Movers, uh, uh, rapideyemovers.com. 
And uh, what else can I say? And otherwise, thelastworker.com. You can buy the game there. Check it out there, thelastworker.com. And the other game is csmashvrs.com. Or just look it up, csmashvrs on PlayStation VR 2. Okay, we'll put the links in the show notes as well to make it easier for people thank you. to find. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Jörg. Jörg? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, I think it's similar to my name, George in Irish. Yes. So, yeah, so George. George, George. Yes, George I can say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for Thanks, spending man. all this time. It's been an absolute Appreciate pleasure. It. Take care. And, uh, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. So, that was my interview with Jörg Titel, the developer of The Last Worker, live at Reboot Develop Blue. I hope you all really enjoyed that. Uh, I really did. I loved speaking to him. I could have spoken to him for another couple of hours. Uh, he's a, as I said, really interesting guy, really funny, uh, very witty, and uh, and yeah, so huge, huge thank you to Jörg Tittle for uh, agreeing to speak to me, and for the lovely peppermint tea as well, um, and I'd love to meet him again in the future. I can't wait to see what he does in the future again, um, and hopefully we'll be able to review his game The Last Worker in the near future on the podcast as well. So uh, that is it for this episode. Again, still plenty more to come on this podcast. If this is your first time listening, then there's a whole back catalogue of episodes and interviews and reviews that you can listen to. Lucky you. And still a lot more to come in the future as well. Uh, we are um, interviews coming up and offer both on the podcast, reviews of adventure games, and we also have more interviews coming up live at, uh, well, that's my last to view at Reboot Develop Blue, but I've got more interviews coming from WASD in London, and the next one is with none other than Dave Gilbert of Wajedi, and he did a playthrough of two of his upcoming games, Nighthawk from Richard Cobbett, and his game uh, Old Skies as well, so that'll be up next Monday. And I keep meaning to say this as well, if you do enjoy this podcast, then please review, uh, please share. We also have a Patreon uh, if you could join as well. Links are in the show notes. You get these episodes for free and a few extras as well. Um, that, uh, you know, extra content as well. So it'd be great if you could support us. But I said, please review and share as well. Everything helps. Uh, so with that, thank you very much for listening. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for Adventure Game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AdventGamePod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you
Thank mm-hmm. you.